preface to what we're going to get to. I've been reading this week about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You probably know the story of at least uh, Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown in the fiery furnace. But when you read the details in this story, it is so much encouragement for absolutely anything you go through in life because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with Daniel, had been basically risen to power in a kingdom that wasn't their own. The children of Israel, the Hebrews, man, Jerusalem and, and Israel had long been taken over and they were a generation that was in captivity in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, saw something in these four Hebrew men that was special. He saw the spirit of the Lord that was with them. Even though he didn't know God, the God of the universe, he saw something special about them and gave them power and authority. Uh, his own guys didn't like that. So they started plotting immediately to get rid of these four men. When it came to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was a statue, 90 foot tall statue erected. And they said, whoever doesn't worship this statue gets thrown into a fiery furnace. These guys knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down, and they didn't. And this was one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to save them. He didn't want to waste their lives throwing them in the fire. He said, if you would just bow down, I'll give you one more chance. Bow down to the statue and worship, and I won't have my men throw you into the fire. And they say to the king, it's so cool. It's one of the coolest moments in the Bible. It's like Clint Eastwood cool, right? They say, we will never bow down to you. Our God is well able to save us from those flames. And even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Man, that's cool, right? That's cool. They're like, listen, our God is bigger than these flames. But if for some reason he doesn't save us and we burn up, we still aren't going to bow down to you. So they made the fire hotter. The men that threw them in got burned up. You'd think they'd have thought something immediately was, was going on, right? When the guys who are throwing them in the fire burn up, but they don't, you would think um, something's different here. But they just got some new guys, threw them in, and they were bound. They were tied up when they got thrown into the fire. And as soon as they go into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, first of all, they're not tied up anymore. They're walking around. Second of all, didn't we throw in three men? There's four men in that fire. And then he yells at him, hey, come out. If you can still hear me, come out. So they come out unscathed, unburned. It says they didn't even smell like smoke. The chains or the binds that they had been tied with were completely burned off, but they still hadn't been touched by the flames. And immediately Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, there's something to your God. You don't have to bow down to mine anymore. In fact, I'd like to bow down to your God. And then he gave them even more authority than they had before. Man, that applies to our lives today so much. When we go through trials, when we go through fire, when we go through hard times, I'm here to tell you, first of all, if you don't know this, it is not the Lord putting you through hard times, right? It's just we live in a messed up world. Sometimes messed up stuff happens, right? There is an enemy out there. Our great adversary is the devil, and he's out there coming against us. He comes to still kill and destroy. But thank God on the inside of us is the Holy Spirit of Jesus who came to give us what? Life and life more abundantly. We don't go through the hard things because of God, but when we go through them, he's with us in the fire. He's with us in the fire and we'll come out on the other side. Sometimes it takes a miracle, but if we can have, like Pastor Brittany talked about about three or four weeks ago, breakthrough up here in our mind, we'll see breakthrough in the natural. Those guys had breakthrough before the fire touched them because in that moment they told the king, we're not gonna bow down. 
Our God can save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. That's breakthrough. When they got thrown in, the only thing the fire did was set them free from what was binding them. When you're in the middle of a fire, listen, the enemy comes against you where God has called you to go, right? If he's called you to walk in in great financial prosperity so you can give to people, there's a good chance the enemy has been coming against your finances as long as you can remember. But when you know you're not alone in that fire, when you get breakthrough in your mind and you know what the word says is more true than what the bank account says, what the word says is more true than what anything else says. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe you're called to be strong and go on mission trips, but your health has been attacked for years and years. And you're like, if I'm called to go right now overseas, I don't even know if I could get there because I'm not healthy. If the enemy has attacked you in your health, get a breakthrough on the word that says you've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. And as you're in the fire, what burns away is all that stuff that, that keeps you held back, that bad thinking that keeps your finances in lack, that bad thinking that, that, that where we've given in to the enemy over the years, that goes away and we build up endurance. It burns away the things that are holding us back when we know we're not alone, when we have a revelation right here that God is with us, so who can be against us? The only thing the fire does when you know you're not alone and you know who you are in Christ is burn away what's holding you back. And when you come out of it, you're gonna be walking in more authority and power than you ever have. Man, people know when you've been through something, not because you're walking around with your shoulders slumped like you've been beat up. No, when you've been through something as a believer and you come out on the other side, the smell of smoke isn't even on you. People know you've been through something because they're like, what do you know that I don't know? Why are you walking around in victory and I feel like I'm lagging behind all the time? Why are you so steady and I feel like I'm a leaf blown in the wind every time the wind blows, I'm going a different direction. Man, that's the biggest compliment Lisa and I have received over the years is there's been several people that have come to us and said, I need to spend time with y'all. Why do you feel like you need to spend time with us? Well, because I've seen you go through a lot of things and you're just steady. Y'all have been steady through every season. You've been steady through seasons of lack. You've been steady through seasons of plenty. You've been steady when things were going great at church and you've been steady when things maybe didn't look so great. You were steady when your dad was the pastor and you guys were still steady when he passed away suddenly and you stepped into this role. That's a big compliment, but it's not because of us. It's not because we're great. It's because I can tell you this, we know we've never been alone in any fire we've been in. And when you come out on the other side of a fire, people know. It's not because you smell like smoke. It's because they can see the victory where you could be a victim. They're like, man, how can I operate in that? So if you're in a fire, rejoice a little bit about it. Be happy about it. Number one, if you're in a fire right now and you're still walking around, that means it ain't over. That means the fire didn't burn you up. The fire that consumed the people that threw you into it hasn't touched you yet. So that's number one thing to rejoice about. Number two, know you're not alone. Number three, know that whatever's held you back is being burned up right now. And when you come out, you're gonna be walking in some power and authority that you haven't walked in yet. Amen, that's good news, right? If, it, if you're still walking around, it's not over. Can you imagine if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sat down in the middle of that fire, just crossed their arms, <laughs> Well, you told me I wouldn't ever be harmed by fire. Like, but you're not being harmed. You're sitting down in the middle of it. Can you imagine if they walked around pouting in the middle of a fire that wasn't burning them up, where they were still breathing? They shouldn't have been breathing. They didn't walk around pouty and defeated. 
No, some of us need to realize if we're in the fire, we're still breathing. If we're still breathing, it's not over. If you're still standing, it's not over. You're going to win the fight if you just don't quit. Quitting is the only way you lose this thing. Sitting down in that fire and just laying down until they got burned up would have been the only way they'd have lost that fight. So keep going, keep moving, come out of that fire, and you're going to be, you're going to be walking in more power, victory, and authority than ever. That's good news, right? Okay, message before the message. Okay, now we're going to get to the actual message, and I'm going to try to slow down a little. I have a lot of message today, but I promise you two things. Number one, I'm not going to go like extra time to finish it. And number two, I think I can get through some of the main points with maybe a little bit less detail than I want to go into. But if you would like to get my notes, I will send them to you. I'll just email you or text you my notes and you can fill in all the blanks. But I think this is a very important message. We're closing out our gratitude series. You can see from those big white letters and the misspelling that this series is focusing more about attitude and not just a moment of saying, thank you, Lord, but walking around with a philosophy, a mindset of gratitude. Why? Well, last week I talked about this. Being thankful is like priming a pump on a lawnmower, right? Priming a pump on a weed eater or some type of uh, machine that has an engine, right? You got to get some fuel ready, push the air out and get some fuel in the right position to where when you rev that engine, it starts right up. Thankfulness is like priming the pump on breakthrough. If you're believing for breakthrough in your life, you need to prime the pump a little with gratitude, with thanksgiving, and you will be in the right spot for breakthrough. It puts you in position to receive from the Lord what you have not been operating in. It's not that it, it, it doesn't put, it doesn't move the hand of God to say, oh, look, now they're grateful, I'll do this in their life. No, the difference, what you're gonna hear at FCG is that God has already completed his work. What this does, gratitude, is it puts you in position. The tank is already full when you prime a pump, right? The gas tank is already full when you prime a pump. The priming just puts the machine in a position to use what it's already got and to crank up. You already have everything you need as a believer. It has been deposited inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving primes that pump and puts you into position to operate and to walk in what God has already supplied for you. Man, if you want to talk more about that, I could talk about it all day. The Lord created everything you see around you right? Every tree, every piece of grass, every hill. In fact, everything. If, if you think, if you want to get super detailed, these chairs you're sitting in, these iPhones that we use, these all came out of the ground, right? Everything you can see, touch, taste, or feel was built from minerals that were deposited in the soil, right? Right? That, that's where we get things from, right? It all comes from the ground and God put everything we would ever need in the ground in six days, and what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. He's not out here touching the forest and making new trees come up. New trees come up because seeds come out of other trees and new trees spring to life. God created trees to produce after themselves. Humans, right? Humans, babies are born because we are made to produce, right? Adam and Eve, he created. He sh shaped them from clay, breathed life into them. He, not one of us were shaped from clay since then. No, we were produced because a man and a woman came together and made a baby. 
That is how that happens. God rested on the seventh day and he hasn't created stuff the same way since, right? It was made to create after its own kind. In the same way, in the spirit, Jesus did everything for us when he died on the cross and went into the ground and resurrected. Now, when we believe in him, everything we could ever need, just like creation has been deposited in us. And now we just got to prime that pump and start using what he has given us. Gratitude, thankfulness, gratefulness puts us in position to use those things the Lord has given us and supplied for us. And for the next 25 minutes, I'm going to give you three ways that you can begin to shift your attitude to an attitude of thankfulness, of praise, That's something else we established last week. Thankfulness and praise are really interchangeable words. Praise is an outward expression or even an inward expression of thankfulness. We praise the Lord through thankfulness. Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for my family. Thank you that I was uh, born here in this time when, when I can just believe in Jesus and go to heaven. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the cross. This is praise, right? It travels on the vehicle of thanksgiving. So three ways we can shift our attitude to thankfulness because some of us have some bad attitudes, right? Lisa taught kindergarten and preschool for a long time and she did this thing with the kids and I've seen her do it with adults. She's done it to me before. If a kid has a bad attitude, she walks up to him. She goes, all right, excuse me. I need you to spit out your bad attitude right here in my hand. We're gonna go throw it away. Go ahead, spit it out. And they'll spit out the, Miss Lisa, I don't want to. No, spit out the bad attitude. Wow. All right. Well, she didn't let him spit in her hand. She just had the trash can and said, spit out the bad attitude. And they did. And for the most part, you see kids, they start to laugh and, and uh, they spit out the bad attitude. Things change. I've seen Lisa go up to adults and say, excuse me right now, spit out that bad attitude, right? Spit it out because there's no reason to have that bad attitude. Everybody in this room has gone through stuff. Everybody in this room, I'm sure if we sat down and compared notes, every single one of us could choose to have a bad attitude about things in life. And for the most part, we might can look at those things and say, you know what, I understand. I understand why you have a bad attitude. You've been through some things. You've had some bad stuff happen to you, right? And I'm not trying to negate that stuff. I'm not gonna try and act like, uh, well, that stuff, just forget about it, just move on. No, 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 stuff happens. But it's still our choice if we're gonna walk around being a constant and consistent victim to those things that happen to us, or if we're going to move forward in victory, not on our own, through Jesus, the one who was with us, who didn't leave us in the middle of this fire, the one who didn't leave us where we were at, but who stayed with us, who gave us victory. And not only that, went through everything we could possibly go through and worse. The Bible says he was tempted in every way we were tempted. So when we're tempted to look at our life and think, man, I got a bad rap. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, Jesus could have complained about that, right? He was born in a little nothing town called Bethlehem. And then he had to live the first few years of his life as an exile, right? He wasn't even living in the place his people were from for a long time, right? Jesus experienced everything we experience. Yet we don't see a victim walking around the streets of Jerusalem. We don't see a victim walking through Samaria with his head down. No, we see a victor walking around saying, you can have the same victory I have and offering it freely to people that didn't deserve it. That's still what he's doing today. 
He's saying, look, you can walk in victory. He didn't do that. He didn't live victoriously only to put it in our face and say, ha ha, look, I made it and you didn't, right? I rose from the dead and you'll never rise from the dead. No, guess what? You'll actually rise from the dead as well, right? There's a time when this life, like we know it will end, but that's not where it all ends. To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with Christ. I don't even know if we'll know what that last breath feels like or felt like because immediately we'll be resurrected to a new life. That's good news. It's all good news. So three ways, and some of them are going to sound very practical, but again, for a believer, it's all actually spiritual when you're a believer. Man, I, I love that. That's a whole nother message. We might go into that sometime in the new year. But the number way, number one, step one, to shift your attitude from one, wherever you're at, to thankfulness. And again, don't laugh until we get into it. You're going to think this is way too simple, way too uh, practical. But number one, step one, simplify your life. Simplify your life. And here's some subtopics. I'm going to give you four ways to simplify your life. Number one, have reflection time daily. Listen, I hope you have time with the Lord every day. I hope you do. I'm going to preach this message assuming that you spend time with the Lord every day, right? Once you have time with the Lord, that's a great time to do this. If not, take some other time, but have reflection time daily. What are you going to reflect on? Well, I can promise you this. You ain't going to get victory reflecting about your problems, right? You're going to get victory reflecting on the Lord. It says in the book of Isaiah that God keeps you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. If you're not operating in peace for a believer, it's this simple. You're not thinking about the Lord. You're not meditating on his goodness. You're not meditating on his word. You're meditating on other things. You're trying to figure out the answer to all the problems. And God's like, well, you know, I'm the answer. Meditate on me. Let me fix stuff, right? He can fix it better than us anyway. We can fix things, but it's like when I fix things, it's the duct tape method. It's duct tape it, and that'll probably fix it for a while. Like the speaker, I'm like, how can we make it work today? right? Can we make it work today with some duct tape and then we'll figure it out later? Sometimes you got to duct tape stuff. But let me tell you, God is the great physician. He doesn't just put a band-aid on stuff. He fixes it. He heals it. Yeah. When we meditate on him, we will stay in peace. The children of Israel didn't meditate and remember what the Lord did for them. And the Bible flat out says that's why they didn't enter the promised land. Because out of all the great things God did for them, all they would do was sit around and when they had bread from heaven every day, what did they think about? Well, it sure would be nice to have meat. And then they got meat. What do they think about? Well, we're thirsty. Sure would be nice to have water. Moses is up on the hill receiving the Ten Commandments, right? God is writing the Ten Commandments down and they look around and they're like, well, sure would be nice if we had a God we could see. So they create a golden calf. They throw all their jewelry in the fire. It comes out kind of looking like a cow. And they're like, well, that's our God. Do you know before that happened, God invited every one of them to come up the mountain and see him. And you know what they said? No, we can't. We're not good enough to see the Lord. Let's let Moses do it. The only reason Moses was the only one who saw God is because they all refused. Yet when he was up on the mountain, 
communing with the Lord. They said, well, I sure wish we could see God. So they made a cow. They constantly put their focus on what they didn't have, on what they lacked, and they didn't remember what God did for them in Egypt. They didn't remember what he did for them. Had they remembered, they would have marched through that wilderness in victory, marched into the promised land in victory, and taken what was theirs. And that's what so many of us are lacking so many times. We look around and see what we don't have, what we don't need, or, or, or what we think the Lord owes us. We're not focusing on who he is and what he's already done for us. Man, don't, don't sit around and think about all the negative stuff. Remember what the Lord did and you'll start seeing him in that stuff. It's not about put it aside and never think about it. No, meditate on the Lord and you'll begin to see his victory within all that negative stuff. Lisa and I do this a lot as a married couple when we have time uh, dates and stuff. Like we don't just gaze into each other's eyes on dates after 20 years of marriage and say, oh, you're so beautiful. Do you like your pasta? Oh, you're so beautiful. Like that, if you're doing that after 20 years, I mean, it's great to tell your wife she's beautiful, but dates aren't all about staring deep into each other's eyes. You know, four minutes of unbroken eye contact. We had a couple tell us that one time we were doing counseling and we we're like, y'all need to connect a little better than you're connecting. Like y'all need to have a deep conversation or something this week. And they came back the next week and said, well, we didn't really have a deep conversation, but we did have four minutes of unbroken eye contact every day. And I was like, first of all, that's weird. <laughs> Second of all, it had to be the most boring four minutes of the day. And third of all, I, that's not really connecting. I mean, like, anyway, that was a funny one. That was a funny one. Uh, I feel like if, if Lisa and I tried that, I would you just like punch me in the stomach or something. Like, that is not four minutes of unbroken eye contact. Let's try it right now in front of everybody. What we do when we have dates, what we do when it's just the two of us, what we did here on our 20th anniversary trip we took uh, three or four weeks ago is we spent time reflecting on the goodness of God over our 20 years of marriage. We talked about some of the stuff we've been through that God got us through and how grateful we are. We talked about our kids over and over again. They weren't with us, but we sure talked about them a lot. We, we did all kind. We went through the camera roll and found videos of Judah playing ball and Ava singing and stuff and just rejoiced in the goodness of God. And it was like, it, it was some of the best times. So if you're married, especially when you take time with each other, use that time to reflect on what the Lord has done. So simplify your life. Number one, you can do that by reflecting on his goodness, his victory daily. That will simplify your life. How? You'll stop thinking about all the negative stuff, all the issues, and you'll establish your day in the goodness of God. You'll establish your day on the pillar that he's always got you through those things that come against you. The second thing is one of the most practical ones you'll hear all day, and it's a word, it's one of my favorites, declutter. Declutter, right? Your actual physical living place, right? Declutter that place. Uh, it is so hard to concentrate when things are a mess and there's stuff piled everywhere. It's honestly hard for me. You might relate to this. It's hard for me to sit down in a big filled up messy room and think about anything but the big filled up messy room. So this is an actual physical practical thing. Declutter where you live, but also take it a little more existential. Declutter your schedule. Some of our schedules are so packed. We got stuff 6 a.m. till 11 p.m. every day. Our schedules are so packed and cluttered up. You might already be thinking about step one and you're like, well, I can't have reflection time with the Lord unless I do it on the go. Declutter your life. 
Get rid of some of those things that don't matter. Get rid of the TV show that you got to watch every day or something. Get rid of something. Declutter your schedule so that you can have time to spend with the Lord. Uh, in, in, in a physical example, my, my office out in the other building, the first couple years after my dad was gone, became a storage bin. And I was writing messages in coffee shops and all kinds of places like that. I never really saw the need for an office until a good friend of mine just showed up one day and said, hey, we're going to declutter this office out here. I'm going to go buy you a desk because I think you need a desk. You're my pastor. I think I want you to have a desk in an office. And I just kind of humored him. I was like, all right, all right, let's do it. You know, if somebody wants to do something for you, I'm like, oh, thank you. That'll be great. So I helped him. We cleaned it out. We went and bought a desk, put it down. And I'm telling you, the next day I went into my office and I sat down and I felt inspired. It was cool. And I thought, man, why didn't I have an office before? This is great. This is better than Starbucks, right? I can concentrate. I can talk out loud and not People don't look at me like I'm weird. I can break into some worship and stuff and I can do it out loud. It was awesome to have a place I could go, spend time with the Lord and prep for moments like this. And then another, another example of this, I had a friend who his life was built around, and he's given me permission to share this. His life was built around serving at his church. It was a church that uh, you, you kind of had to keep up with your schedule yourself. If you, if you say you're available every week, they're gonna have you serving every week. Of course, here I always tell people, do not serve every week, right? Like, don't always accept every invitation. Like, if you need a break, take a break. Come and be a part of church without serving. This particular church, it was so big, you have to keep up with your own life. You have to keep up with, I'm not available this week, I'm available. Well, he had went ahead and uh, for 10 years had, had served at this church every Sunday morning for 10 years, and his call time for, for playing in the band was 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. or something. And the family had one vehicle. So he's playing guitar in church every week. His family, that five kids and wife, 10 years into this, he's in the car with me one day and he started freaking out. And I said, what are you freaking out about? He says, I just realized that three of my five kids have basically never been to church on Sunday. One of them is eight years old. Another one is six and they've never been to church. He's like, I'm raising my family outside of church. And I said, what are you going to do about it? He goes, I think I should just quit. I said, you should quit. He said, but it's basically like 75% of my income. I said, you should quit because you can't put a price on your kids being raised in church. They need a church. They need a church family. And he quit that day. And he started taking his family to church, but he had to declutter his schedule. He had to do something drastic in that particular case so that his kids weren't being raised outside of the family of God. And I'm glad he did. But sometimes we got to declutter to simplify our life and to have that time with the Lord. So two ways we've already talked about to simplify your life. One, have reflection time daily. Two, declutter. And that is everything from your house to your schedule. Number three, this is an important one. Connect on purpose with loved ones. Listen, relationships are tricky. Relationships are hard sometimes. Relationships have ups and downs. Sometimes there's tension. But you know, I'm a guitar player, and these guitars up here aren't going to make any type of pretty noise whatsoever without a little tension on those strings, right? You got to put tension on them or they're just rattly, noisy things. Relationships are the same way. Because of the nature of knowing somebody, sometimes there's tension, there's disagreements. But when you work through that stuff and don't just turn around and run, you get to some really beautiful places. More beautiful than you would be at 
without some of that tension, right? And you learn to work through it. Connect with loved ones. The Bible says in Psalm 23 that he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you this week at Thanksgiving sat across the table from somebody and you're like, this person is my mortal enemy. Cousin Billy, I've hated him ever since we were three years old. I am at the table with my enemies. I'm at, maybe your own family. I mean, maybe like there's four of you and you, you, you had like one of those early morning family scuffles. Everybody's mad at everybody. You sit down at the table. You're like, I do not want to eat across from these people right now. But you know what happens at the table? A lot of times, there's a whole lot to Psalm 23. I could do a whole message, a whole series about all the things we can get from the phrase, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. One of the many things is that at a table, sitting across from somebody, a lot of times that's where that enemy stops being your enemy. That's where that enemy becomes a friend. That's where the person you've had tension with, it becomes light and you work through stuff. You've got to sit face to face with somebody and you got to say, hey, let's work through this because it's worth it. Let's work through this because our relationship is worth it. There's a lot of times tension in our relationships is stopping us from walking around with attitude of thankfulness because that's all we can focus on. So make it right with your loved ones. Connect with them. Even if you don't want to, you'll be glad you did. Number four, this is the last one about, uh, this is the last way I have here um, to simplify your life. And number four is end any type of comparison that you do. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparing yourself to somebody else will steal your joy and your peace every time. Because when you compare yourself to somebody else, you're either number one thinking, ooh, at least I'm not like them, and that's not healthy because that stops you from growing. Or number two, you're looking at them and saying, ooh, why them and not me? Why are they doing this thing I've always wanted to do and I'm not? It steals your joy. You know, Lisa and I were in San Antonio uh, with our friends, Pastor Mike and uh, his family just a couple weeks ago. And he told us this story that there's a, a big church, a little bit bigger than his, down the street from his church. And he said that he, he's always wanted a big um, electronic sign outside of his church that has their service times and, and all the information. And he's always wanted that. And he's been pastoring for seven years. And he's like, we still don't have that big electronic marquee, but one day we'll have it. And the, the church about five miles down the road for him, he was driving past it one day and they had just put up a big giant electronic sign, even bigger than the one he wanted. And he said, I drove past it and all I could think was, why? What? Lord, why'd you give Tree of Life a big electronic sign and not our church? Like, that's not fair. I've been wanting an electronic sign and now they have one and they're just a few miles down the road from us. And he said he did the whole service with a bad attitude. He preached with a bad attitude. He worshiped with a bad attitude. You know, he's like only, only went 50% with the hand lifting, didn't go all the way. I was mad, right? And he said after church, he drove past the church to go home and they had a big sign outside of their church that said uh, celebrating 40 years of ministry. It was their anniversary and it was the 40th year that church had been around. And he heard the Holy Spirit say, you've only been around for seven, give it some time. It's taken them 40 years to get a big giant electronic sign. He's like, give it some time. And immediately all that anger he was feeling, all that jealousy he was feeling just dissipated. And he thought, man, that was silly. Why did I just spend an entire morning frustrated, right? Because I'd compared myself to somebody else, right? And there's so many more details to that, right? They've been there for 40 years plowing the ground. They've been there for 40 years growing, there's details. When you open up a social media app 
and you see the very best of somebody else's life, it's easy to look at that and say, well, everything's perfect for them, but it's not for me. Well, number one, it ain't perfect for them, but no one's out there putting their mess on social media, right? And I don't necessarily think we should, but no one's out there putting their mess on social media. But we get into big trouble when we look at that, the very best in somebody else, compare it to some of the worst things that we're going through. The enemy uses that to stop you dead in your tracks every time. He will use that to steal your joy every time. And if you cannot open social media without feeling that anxiety, without feeling that, 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 that pull to look at somebody else and compare it, then just erase it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. And you're like, well, it's how I run my business. It's not worth it. Your business is not worth your peace. Your business is not worth your joy, right? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You got kids to feed. Well, they're going to like you being happier a lot more than they're going to like having money in the bank, right? Let the Lord take care of you. Turn it off if you have to turn it off. Just get rid of it. Maybe we should have like a, uh, a social media uh, support group or something, like people that want to get off of it. And instead of social media going to it, we just have an actual thing you could go to and be social with each other. If we call it a support group, but really it's just a get together so that you can talk to each other about real life instead of looking at social media. That'd be great, right? Like hanging out, like, like a hangout time. Like people used to do that. You can do it by a fire. You can do it around a table. You can do it at your house. Instead of like hiding when someone rings your doorbell, you actually go answer it and say, oh, come into my home. Let's, let's, let's look at each other in the face when we talk to each other. This is great. James 3.16 says that jealousy and envy open the door, or, or strife, I'm sorry, envy, which is jealousy, and strife open the door to every evil work in your life. That's crazy. Every evil work. So name the evil work, sickness, disease, loss, uh, uh, um, what else? Sick, uh, uh, lack, poverty, whatever else you can think of. Envy and strife open the door to that stuff. Close the door on evil work by closing the door on jealousy and strife. And of course, in Numbers, we have this great, this great verse, this great phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Man, if your joy is being stolen, your strength is being stolen. Don't let jealousy or envy Comparing yourself to others, steal your joy. In Exodus 16:3, we have this cool verse here. The children of Israel, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. <laughs> there we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. I mean, how many times is like food the reason we're all upset too, right? Like this is like a whole generation of people that like kind of eventually died out. It started off, but they were complaining about food right? Uh, with meat and all that we could. Okay. I just said that. I've never said that out loud before, but that's so true. And like, I think we could just, they lost their entire promise because they started off complaining about food. That's kind of a little thing, right? That's kind of a little thing. They're not complaining about like the Lord left us and who we were slaves in Egypt, right? They were slaves. The Lord had just brought them out. They weren't complaining about 400 years of slavery. They're like, well, we had meat a while back. And now we don't. And that led to, I mean, those little things. Listen, you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. He will take all he can. You might think, well, it's not a major thing. It's a major thing. Don't give the devil an inch. We had meat, ate all the bread we wanted, but now you've brought us out into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Oh, man. They didn't take time to thank the Lord for what he did, and it 
led to their destruction. It was the next generation that eventually entered the promised land. Okay, so that was step one. I got two more. I'm just going to go read them fast and you can get my notes if you'd like. But step one, to shift your attitude to thankfulness, number one step is simplify your life. Do that by having reflection time daily on what the Lord has done in your life. Number two, do that by decluttering your life physically, decluttering your schedule, decluttering all that three, connect with loved ones, connect with your friends, especially if there's tension, connect and work through it. And number four, on how to simplify your life end comparison. That's how to simplify your life. So step one, simplify. Step two, understand your favor. You are favored by God if you are a believer. This is one of the coolest and also one of the most confusing scriptures in the New Testament, Luke 2:52. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, talking about Jesus living here on the earth. He grew in wisdom and in stature, and he grew in favor with God and with the people. Why is it confusing? Well, I don't quite understand all the way how God in the flesh grew in favor with God, right? You would think he was just born with all that favor. And I believe he was. I believe a big part of this is he grew in how he understood his favor with God. He did have to come into the knowledge of who he was. He wasn't born with that, right? He had to come into the knowledge with who he was and who God was. So I believe that part of how he grew in favor with God is he began to understand his position with God. He began to understand he had to have a revelation that he and the Father were one, right? That's what we're missing too in a lot of areas. Do you know you and the Father are one? Do you know that the God of the universe has deposited the Holy Spirit on the inside of you? That's awesome. You are one with the Lord, right? Just like Jesus. And he grew in favor with God and with man, and we can too but it starts with understanding you are favored. You are blessed and highly favored. 1 John 4, 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are you right now in this world. And you are made righteous because of his blood. You are made whole because of the victory on the cross because of the victory that he gave us. We are one with the Lord. And when Jesus, and as he realized that and got a revelation, he somehow grew in this favor he operated in with God and with men. You gotta get a revelation on that. You are so loved and so highly favored. You know, if you never did one more thing for God for the rest of your life, you'd still be just as loved as Billy Graham who preached to millions until the day he died. If you locked yourself in a room and never came out for the rest of your life, you'd still be just as loved as Smith Wigglesworth, who served the Lord to the day he died, or my dad, who served the Lord to the day he died. The person sitting next to you, your, your favor and how much God loves you isn't based on what you do or on what you are doing for him. It's just based on the fact that you're his child, he loves you, he's accepted you, and you are favored as much now as you ever have been or ever will be. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory 
It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. You got to know you are favored and you have everything you need. So step two is understand your favor. And I got so many more notes on that. Believe me, you want my notes this week. You need to send me your email address and say, send me your notes and I will. You're going to want them. And step three, this is the last one. This is a good one. You have to be an encourager, not just to others, but really first and foremost of yourself. You got to encourage yourself in the Lord and then you got to encourage others. Have you ever been on a plane and they tell you if something happens, you got to, that, that, that air mask falls out, put yours on first before you help others. You're going to be able to help more people once you have that mask on than you can help by trying to help all them before you get yours on. You got to learn how to encourage yourself in the word and then go out and encourage others. It's not selfish. You're going to be able to help so many others when you walk around and you're offering them something that you actually have, right? I, I, I might, it might be nice for me to offer you like a, a billion dollars. That might be a nice offer. But if I don't have a billion dollars to back that up and give you, it's really just an empty promise, right? Right? You got to have what you're giving away for there to be any weight to it. You got to encourage yourself in the Lord, and then you can go encourage others. That is the third step to shifting your attitude to one of thankfulness and gratitude at all times. And it goes back to encouragement. To encourage means to put courage into somebody. To discourage means to take courage out of them. That's what those two words mean. Are you encouraging yourself? Are you giving yourself courage by thinking about the victory that God has given you instead of the negative stuff? Are you encouraging yourself by decluttering your schedule and, and, and making time to sit down and dwell on the goodness of God and meditate on his word? Are you encouraging yourself by making things right with loved ones, sitting around a table and, and talking about the goodness of God instead of the disagreements and working through that stuff? Are you encouraging yourself by opening the word and finding out what the word says about your situation rather than what anybody else says? Because once you start doing that, you will immediately begin to walk around way more thankful, way more gr grateful to the Lord than you ever have been. And then once you encourage yourself, man, you can go encourage others like nobody's business, right? You can see how the enemy is attacking them and then encourage them, right? I, I, I got so many examples here in the Word I don't have time to get into, but they're really good, you know? They're really good. You can encourage people first and foremost when you've been through stuff. Right? Listen, I've been through this and, and, and here's how the Lord got me out. And let me tell you, your testimony, my testimony is a part because if the Lord does this for me, he'll do this for you. Encourage others. Proverbs 18.21, the band can go ahead and come up. We'll close with this. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. It goes on to say, choose life that you might live. The power in your words is substantial. Psalm 33, 6 tells us that the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. And that is 
the same power you have in your words. I've told this story before, but a few years back, I knew that we were going to be talking about joy on a Sunday morning. It was uh, around Advent, and it was on the schedule to talk about joy. And for whatever reason, it was a weird season. I don't know. I sat down. I just had like writer's block or something. I couldn't, couldn't get two words put together for a message. And uh, I was like, man, what? I, I have nothing. I usually like to write my messages. If I'm not weeks ahead, then I'll write my messages for Sunday morning on Monday morning and then just think about it all the rest of the week. And um, I had nothing, and it was Saturday night, and we were going to a Christmas party with my pastor. Pastor Dean Melton was gonna be there, Lisa's uncle, and I uh, sat down beside him, and I figured I'd be asking the teacher for answers, you know? I was like, Pastor Dean, if you were gonna preach on joy tomorrow, what would you be talking about? And he looked at me, and he goes, well, I don't know why you're asking me. You're the one that carries joy with you. You're the one, your family, when y'all walk into the room, everybody gets happy. Y'all just make people smile. He's like, you're the ones that carry joy. I should be asking you that question. And when he said that, as soon as he said that to me, it was like just this download. Man, I knew immediately what I wanted to talk about the next week. It unlocked something in me because he looked at me and he said, through, he encouraged me and said, that's who you are. Man, there are times... There are people who are struggling in life and the reason they're still struggling is because you haven't looked at them. You haven't looked at them and said, this isn't who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not below. You're a victor, not a victim. There's times you're struggling through stuff and you're still struggling through it because you haven't looked at yourself in the mirror and said, hang on, let me tell you who you are. You're not, this, you're not this person only that I see looking back at me in the mirror. You are a child of God. You are accepted. You are loved. You are highly favored. You have victory on the inside of you. You are wall to wall, Holy Ghost on the inside. You are loved on your worst day like the band sang earlier. And you're greatly loved on your best day just as much as your worst day. You get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, no matter what. You are forgiven. You, you got to encourage yourself through the word. And when you do, man, you'll be going out and encouraging others like never before. So three ways to shift your attitude, your philosophy from whatever you're at now, could be just negativity, could be a, a victim, could be uh, depression, could be whatever, however you're living. Three ways, wherever you're at, to shift it to an attitude, a lifestyle, a philosophy of thankfulness. Three ways. Number one, simplify your life. And I gave you four ways to do that. Number two, begin to get a revelation of who you are in Christ, the favor that you walk in. Understand your favor. And number three, be an encourager of yourself and others. I told you this last week and I told you again today, this message is going to feel very practical, right? But as a believer, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. That's why it's so important what we let in, right? That's why it's so important what we let into our mind, what we let our eyes see, what we let our ears hear. It's important because it's spiritual. Every bit of it, the good and the bad. So this message might feel very practical, might feel a little surface level, 
But I'm telling you, if you apply any of these principles to your life, you will see some really great spiritual and physical victory that you've been believing for. It's going to happen up here first. Breakthrough in your mind, then you're going to see it in the natural. That's the way to get real breakthrough. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you come out of the fire without the chains you had on when you went in, walking in more authority, more power, more victory. Man, it's going to be awesome. It's a good way to close out this gratitude series and go into this season of Advent, which we can still be grateful during Advent, right? It doesn't, this isn't the last day we can be grateful. It's actually a really good season to focus on the greatest gift we've ever been given. And that's what we're going to do. Amen. Let's all stand together and respond to the word with a few moments of worship. Then I'll have our prayer ministers come up and we will close.